Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. Preston for this opportunity to stand behind the sacred desk to the leadership of Pleasant Grove Church and to all of you who have done a Herculean effort to bring us worship every Sunday. I, I, on behalf of our membership, I thank you. On behalf of all those who stream live every Sunday, I thank you. You've done this for over a year and your labor is not in vain. So I praise God for you. Amen. <laughs> Let us pray. God in heaven, good morning. <laughs> I praise you, O oh God. God, I pray that you use me, your servant, to edify your people and bring you glory in this moment. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. My sermon this morning is taken from the Gospel of John, the sixth chapter, beginning at the 48th verse. Jesus is speaking to a large crowd, and he's saying some things so shocking and audacious that some of his followers will quit him that day. They will stop following him. They will stop believing what he is saying to them. Now he's just fed thousands of people with a couple of fish and a couple of loaves of bread. And the people wanted him to do more stuff like that. Some were comparing him to Moses after that particular miracle. And in order for us to understand why people would compare Jesus to Moses after Jesus had multiplied and made so much food, 
we'd have to go back to the story of the Exodus. At a time when Moses led the Jews out of Egypt. Back then the Jews were slaves in Egypt, had been for hundreds of years. And the leader of Egypt was a cruel man. They called him Pharaoh. At one point, Pharaoh tried to commit genocide by killing all newborn Jewish boys. He even forced the Jews to work on large construction projects without even the most basic of supplies, like straw to make bricks with. One historian believes that one of the ways that Pharaoh punished the Jews who could not come up with their quota of bricks was that he would have one of their children killed and put in the wall of the building they were putting up. The story cannot be told of the cruelties. I'm sure all the stories of what happened to slaves were never told. You can never told, tell all the stories of, about oppression. But the Jews cried out to God and God used Moses to perform a series of plagues that basically tore up the nation of Egypt. But listen to this. Pharaoh apparently not only didn't care about the Jews, but apparently he didn't care about his own people or his nation. And he let his nation be destroyed because of his pride. How many know of nations that have been destroyed by a leader's pride? <laughs> because of his prejudice? He let something get out of hand because of his stubbornness, arrogance, ungodliness, stupidity, lack of empathy, and selfishness. Can I get an amen? And no matter how bad things got in Egypt, and they got pretty bad, Pharaoh wouldn't let the Jews leave until the last plague. Right before that plague hit Egypt, though, God told Moses, tell every family to prepare a feast and let lamb be the main entree. <laughs> God was very specific about the lamb that each family was to eat. It couldn't have any spots or blemishes on it. And like I said, every family was to eat their own lamb. So Moses told the Jews, get ready to leave because God's about to deliver us. But first you gotta eat a feast. Now just put yourself in the shoes of the Jews the time. You probably had a lot on your mind, right? <laughs> I know my stomach would have been tied up in knots. I've had to move different states five times and it was no, it was not pretty. And even though movers came and helped pack up everything, it was still very stressful. The Jews are about to leave the only nation they've known. Hmm. And then they're being told you got to go do it right away. Get, get ready. Let's, let's go. So they're probably concerned about what do we take? What do we leave? <laughs> they're trying to figure out 
how are they going to carry all their stuff with them? Because, you know, no U-Hauls back then. <laughs> so I couldn't imagine anybody being in, in the mood to eat anything, especially feast. <laughs> and they had to eat the meal dressed and ready to go. And then to add to the stress, remember how bad I told you Pharaoh was, they're probably worrying about what Pharaoh's gonna do to them when they all get up and leave. It's a lot to deal with. Eating certainly would have been the last thing on their mind. Oh, and by the way, part of that feast, part of their feasting, God gives one other instruction about the lamb. He says, you are to take some of the blood of the lamb and apply it to your door, your front door. Why? Because God was about to send an angel through Egypt to kill the firstborn son in every household that didn't have that blood on the door. There's one other thing I want you to consider about the night of the feast. It's mentioned in the 12th chapter and 23rd verse of the book of Exodus. Let me read it to you. When the Lord goes through the land to strike down the Egyptians, he will see the blood on the top and sides of the door frame and will pass over that doorway and he will not permit the destroyer to enter your house and strike you down. God himself went through Egypt looking for the blood <laughs> on the doors and did not permit the destroying angel to touch anyone in the houses with the blood of the lamb applied. So God personally got involved as a form of covenant to protect the ones who were obedient to his instructions. No matter how crazy those instructions might have been, no matter how inconvenient those instructions might have been. When the angel of death went through Egypt, that was the last of the plagues. That's what finally convinced Pharaoh to let the Jews go because his son died in the plague. Now it is estimated that about two million Jews left Egypt after that plague. And some estimate that might have been a caravan that was 600 miles long. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? It's like from here to Connecticut. <laughs> Some historians believe that the plagues took from start to finish, from the first plague to the last, about nine months. So deliverance for the Jews was like waiting on a, a baby to be born. <laughs> now the original plan was for them to head due west into Israel to their promised land. But unfortunately, they got derailed because of their disobedience, gross disobedience. You have to remember, 
the Jews had been in Egypt for hundreds of years. They didn't know God. And Egypt had a lot of gods. As a matter of fact, the plagues, each plague was directed toward a specific one of their gods. So they didn't know God. They didn't have a relationship with God. And they sinned. They began to do all sorts of things. Matter of fact, one of the, the things they did, they made a golden calf and began to worship it after they left Egypt. So God put them on punishment and forced them to go round and round in a desert for 40 years. Now imagine millions of men, women, and children in a desert for 40 years. A desert is one of the most hostile environments on earth. It's usually temperatures reach about 100 degrees during the day and can get as cold as it is today into the 40s at night. A desert is mostly sand, so you can't grow anything there. And even if you found a patch of dirt to grow something on, God is moving you around, so you wouldn't be around long enough to, to see it grow. And you know, um, one thing that a desert is known for, it doesn't have a lot of water. So what are you supposed to drink? People didn't like any of this. It's not what they signed up for. They were hungry, they were hot, they were thirsty, and sand was everywhere. Have you ever tried to get sand out of your clothes? You can't get sand out of your clothes. <laughs> I'm sure if they had known what would end up happening to them, they probably would have stayed in Egypt. And just think about what Moses was going through. He went from being their superhero to the most despised one among them. So almost as soon as they left Egypt, the Jewish people entered into a very complicated situation. And if you're a believer, every once in a while you know that God will put you in a very complicated situation where if God doesn't show up, you ain't gonna make it. <laughs> but God showed up and God showed out as only God could. God supernaturally provided all their needs in that desert for 40 years. Every time I read the Exodus story, I, I'm more impressed with our God. <laughs> First, God put a cloud over them in the daytime so they wouldn't be hot. Then God put a pillar of fire over them every night so they wouldn't get cold. So basically, he gave them the very first central air system right there in the desert. <laughs> and if that weren't enough, God fed them by causing food to fall from the sky. <laughs> they didn't have to drive anywhere to pick it up. <laughs> it was like a supernatural Uber service. <laughs> or Uber, as my kids won't let me forget that I said that one time. Some of the food that fell from heaven was a type of bread, heavenly bread. They called it manna. It was described as a thin, sweet wafer. And it fell from heaven regularly upon the Jews for 40 years 
until they stepped into the promised land and then it stopped. So even though the people were on punishment and couldn't enter the promised land, God demonstrated his faithfulness to them, his kindness, his tender care, his power, his awesomeness, his sufficiency. One of the names of God is El Shaddai, which means the many-breasted ones. It, it speaks of a nursing mother with enough milk for her child and every child. But a better definition of El Shaddai is the term the overpowerer, one with the power to do anything. God was showing his people that even in the most impossible situation, even in their disobedience, they could count on him to take care of them and overpower any obstacle that they face. So in our text from the Gospel of John, the people were comparing Jesus to Moses because they were giving Moses credit for causing the manna to fall from the sky. Moses didn't have anything to do with that bread falling from the sky. Moses was good, but Moses was not that good. <laughs> God had caused that manna to fall. And Jesus makes that clear by saying this to the crowd, beginning at the 48th verse, I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which anyone may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus called himself the true bread, the real deal, the perfect bread, the one who would come down from heaven robed in flesh. Manna had kept their ancestors alive in the wilderness, but could not prevent their spiritual death. Because even with God showing himself so magnificently in that desert, overshadowing them day and night, even with all that, most of them had no personal relationship with God and didn't care to. They didn't even want to talk to God. They preferred Moses do the talking for them. And they had no way to enter into heaven when they died. The price that needed to be paid had not yet been paid. So they didn't have the promise of eternal life. The best thing that they could do was every once in a while bring an animal as a sacrifice for their sins. But no animal sacrifice could take away the sins. And that's why Jesus stepped from heaven, was born of a woman, and allowed himself to be offered as an atonement 
for our sins. The only one who could pay the full price of removing our sins from us. That's why when John the Baptist saw him from a distance, he cried out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Waymaker. <laughs> we can have personal relationship with God because of the price that Jesus paid. We can talk to God anytime we want. We don't have to walk in condemnation because of the price that Jesus paid. And yes, these bodies will die one day. But when they die as believers, our spirits will automatically be ushered into the very presence of God where we will live forever. And you may be asking, just like they asked Jesus, how are we supposed to eat the flesh of Jesus and drink the blood of Jesus? We do it when we receive him as our Lord and Savior. We do it every time we repent of our sins. We do it every time we worship him and we pray to the Father in his name. We eat the flesh and drink the blood of Jesus every time we share the gospel, every time we study the word, every time we thank God for the good times and worship him in the bad times. El Shaddai, the overpowerer. When the Jews feasted on that lamb back at the Exodus and they applied the blood to their doorpost, they were participating in their deliverance by obeying the instructions of God. I'm sure those instructions didn't make a lot of sense to them. But they did it anyway. Now on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he also participated in a feast. He feasted with his disciples. The Apostle Paul tells us what happened at that feast. It is a passage of scripture that's read in churches all over the world right before believers take communion. It's in 1 Corinthians, the 11th chapter, beginning at the 23rd verse. Here's how it, what it reads. For I receive from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is in the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. A better definition of the word proclaim when Jesus said, whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim. A better definition of that word is preach. Whenever you take the bread and drink the cup, you are preaching 
when we take communion and we take the elements, we preach, we preach to Jesus, we honor you. You are our Lord. We worship you. We thank you. We belong to you. Some believers might not see a lot of significance in participating in communion. I'm sure the Jews didn't see a lot of significance when they were eating that lamb and applying that blood to the door. But sometimes God will call his people to do things that they don't quite understand at the time. But Jesus told us to do it. And that's enough for me. Taking communion is one of the marks of a Christian. You can go in churches all over the world and might not recognize any songs they're saying or anything else. They might not even have crosses up. But communion is one of the things that marks us, that separates us from all other religions. We'll probably never know all the benefits of communion until we get to heaven when the whole body of Jesus Christ is gathered. <laughs> I can't wait. Can you wait to stand before El Shaddai, the overpower, the Lamb of God, bread of heaven, bread of heaven, feed me till I want no more. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Reverend Rose, for that word today. Yes, we need a bread. We need that bread to sustain us spiritually. And right now, you're probably sitting there thinking, how can I get that bread? You may right, right now be walking in a wilderness that you do not want to be walking in at this point in time. But here's your chance on today. On today, you have another chance to say, Lord, I admit that I am a sinner. Lord, I believe that you died for my sins and rose on that third day. On today, you can say, Lord, I confess that you are Jesus is the Lord of all. And once you do those things that are already written in the word of God in Romans, you will be saved. So today's your day. Receive that bread, that manna from heaven that will restore, replenish all that has been taken away from you. Today's your day. Mothers, fathers, husbands, wives, sons, daughters, you can just proclaim this for yourself for today. And if it's just your day to go and say, Lord, I want to be renewed and receive your Holy Spirit, you can do that today. And if you've done that, please go to our website, www.
pgc-carry.org. Go to the prayer request and type salvation in the header and someone will contact you to show you the path to receive God's word and his Holy Spirit. Come on. That's why I have to say, Lord, I'm available to you, Lord. Use me, Lord. I will, I give to you for today. I surrender myself to do your will so I can go and show someone else the way. Lord, I am available to you. I want to change who I am and where I am. And I want to be refreshed and renewed in your spirit. Go ahead, come on right now. Just say, Lord, I admit I'm a sinner. I confess that you are Jesus' Lord and I believe that you died for my sins. That's all it takes on today. Hallelujah. Let's sing that one more time. Lord. Because today may be your day. Today may be your day to make that change. The storage is empty. Come and be refilled by the Lord. Come on. <laughs> yes, sir. Purge all of those worldly things and start receiving the Holy Spirit. Come on now. www.pgc-carry.org Thank you again.